Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Carol Howard spent 30 years in the hallways of the St. Louis Public Schools before finding a different way to serve her hometown in politics, first as a Democratic committee woman and then 13 years at City Hall as alderwoman. Howard's decision to leave the political arena comes at a time of great transformation for the board, which leaves her both optimistic and worried. The outgoing alderwoman of the 14th Ward joins me next on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the definitive show about politics in the St. Louis region. I thought this was an opportunity to have a new voice in that seat. And the decisions I make in county government allows me to help people in large groups, and I enjoy it. We're not using it as a wedge issue. We're using it more as a, you know, what's right for the region conversation. We need to know what the issues are in our communities in order to address them. Because people want to see change, and they want to see a St. Louis that works for everyone. Some days I need to credit, most days I don't. But most importantly, I have to be able to control how this environment is going to evolve. We knew that in races that that have multiple candidates, the only way you win is in the streets. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lippman. Joining me in the studio today is... Carol Howard, Alderwoman of the 14th Ward, City of St. Louis. And this is Alderwoman Howard's first time on Politically Speaking. And because she's not running again, will be the last time on Politically <laughs> Speaking. But Alderwoman Howard, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Carol Howard? Um... I'm a lifelong citizen of the city of St. Louis. I grew up in South St. Louis in the 14th Ward uh, when it was, well, I don't even remember how who was there then, but, you know, Dick Gebhardt and um, some of the illustrious leaders of the city of St. Louis and nation have, have started in the 14th Ward. I uh, went to... Uh, the Catholics through the Catholic school system. I graduated. I uh, married. I married a man that had three children, and we had two more. And you're a teacher too, if I remember correctly. It was your career before politics. I graduated from uh, Harrisville Community Harrisville College at the time, and went on to teach in St. Louis public schools for 30 years. So in in, in that career, I served as a uh, middle school principal and assistant principal of Cleveland ROTC High School. And what led you to make the transition from the classroom to the political arena? Well, it was I, I was a um, committee woman for the 14th Ward, and I had retired uh, after 30 years from the St. Louis Public Schools, and I was on my way to Ecuador to visit a friend, and I got a call in the Miami airport asking, hey, Gregali's quitting. Would you be interested? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know, um, but I'll, I'll let you know when I get back. So... Went along and talked to my girlfriends, and they were like, yay, and came home and spoke with my husband, and he's like, why not? Do it, you know. You've, you've always been involved with the community. Do it. So that was the beginning, and I finished out Steve Gregali's term. Uh, that was the fall of 2010, and um, then I had a run again in the spring, So, and that started my political career. I did. I thought I would just do it one or two terms and that was it. But 
it turned out that I ended up serving three three terms in one year. Is a classroom and a group of middle school teachers or the Board of Aldermen an easier place to work or deal with? <laughs> um, it depends on what day it is. That uh, I would say uh, they, they both equal out uh, about the same, you know, good days, bad days. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's human nature. You've, you've got, you know, I always say the 95% rule. 95% of the people do the right thing all the time. It's the 5% that don't that cause the 95% the angst. You made the decision fairly early on not to run for what would be a fourth full term. Didn't announce it until kind of the process got started. But I think you made that you terminated your campaign committee sometime in like October of 21. Mm -hmm. When and why did you decide, you know what, I don't want a fourth term. I'm done. Well, part of it is my age. Um, You know, I've I've worked. You can kind of figure out the numbers. But, I, you know, worked 30 years, spent another 13 years. And it's like, you know, it's time to move on, and the rest of my life should be for me. So, you know, at this time, I about a year, two years ago, I adopted a standard poodle and start training it. So I um, plan to go on and continue training her. She does some tricks. She jumps through hoops. She, you know, I want to take her and, and uh, go to veterans' homes or children's hospitals and let her do her thing. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. What's, what's her name? Her name is Contessa, but we just call her Tessa because she's just a regular dog. I mean, Contessa is <laughs> a perfect name for a standard poodle that does tricks. <laughs> Was there ever a moment where you looked at the landscape of how things were shaping up with redistricting or who you may have run against and thought, eh, I could keep going on this, where you might have thought about changing your mind? Well, I, I did think about going ahead and running again, but it's you know the last time I ran, it was it was marginally that I I, I was able to. Pull that was it off. I was I mean it's a, it was a big percentage, but the vote the number of votes was pretty close. Right, right. Um, but you know it was it was a a, a really I thought ugly campaign, and it drug a lot of um, things into the the landscape that didn't need to be. Part of it, you know, my age, you didn't, um, the internet wasn't available, so things didn't become so personal, and it's like, whoa, you know, this is more than I ever anticipated of, you know, having to deal with. The the tone just changes. Oh, the tone changed and was really nasty. One of the big pieces of legislation over the last couple of years that you navigated through the Board of Aldermen was the bill that doubles aldermanic pay for the next group that is coming Mm -hmm. in in April. How did you become the one to take on the responsibility of shepherding that bill? Were you asked to or did you kind of step up and say, I'll volunteer as tribute? It was a a bit of both. Uh, I think people, you know, I, I made it public that I was not running. And so it was it was a perfect fit. Um, I guess, you know, people were telling me, oh, well, that's too much. I'm, hand me an amendment. How much is too much? You know, because, I mean, in my mind, you start high and you can always go low. When you start low, it's hard to go high. And I was just amazed that, um, you know, people said that's way too much. And publicly people were, that's way too much. I go, give me an amendment. What is fair? What is fair? I didn't get an amendment. I was really kind of disappointed. How how low were you willing to go? What did you well, think I was fair in there? Fair might be, you know, sixty ish between sixty and seventy somewhere. 
it's going to be a much bigger job than it was when uh, I took office or my predecessors took office. And I think, um, you know, the, like you said, the landscape changed even with the smaller wards with the accessibility that we, we are afforded. Um, when I first came into office, people were still writing letters to contact And some still do. And so you still do get that. But it was, it was our, a phone call to the office. Then it was, you know, you kind of got, well, you're never available, you're never available. And, you know, I, I think probably in my first term, I put my cell phone number out there. And <clears throat> when people would say they couldn't reach me, I would say, well, you know, you have my cell phone, you can text me. And then it was like, you're supposed to be available on Facebook, you're supposed to be available on Twitter, you know. And it's just like, that's so invasive. Not that as a public servant, you're not, that, that you should not be available. But at the same time, it's like, wait a minute, 24-7, there are things that are important to people 24-7. I understand that. But it it becomes intrusive after a while when, you know, if you have people calling you at 1 o'clock in the morning saying their trash wasn't picked up. There's nothing you that an alderman can do about it at 1 o'clock in the morning. Is that a failing then of the city's infrastructure? Like, should it be the aldermanic responsibility that you call them because your trash isn't getting picked up? Is that just an expectation that's been created? Or is it come down to you because there's no other I think communication when, available? I think when they feel as though everything else has been exhausted, that's when I when I usually get the call. I've called CSB. I've called this person. I've called that person, and nothing seems to be happening on whatever whatever city service isn't being delivered. Then it, it's our obligation, I think, to step in and say, "Hey, wait a minute." Is there something the aldermen or the city could do to, you know, make it so it doesn't even have to get escalated? I I, I think so, um, but I, I really kind of wonder how well the system is bro- is working because um, there's just so many unresponsive needs not being met. And I, I really feel as though we, we are the city um, government officials are not focusing as much on the taxpayers as they need to be focused. Um, you know, we've become a, uh, you know, just we're we're worried about the homeless. We're worried about you know people that, and and I don't mean this disrespectfully. I know everybody has a, a story, um, but we've kind of come away from um, caring for the taxpayers and the people that are actually driving the 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 economy of the city, and become more focused on those people that are less fortunate, which, you know, I think is you know. A good Catholic person, I understand that, but we have many institutions to do that, and we should be supporting them. This shouldn't be the government's role to take care of those needs. One of the things you were not able to get across the finish line during your time was you always carried the residency requirements. Sometimes it would get through Mm -hmm. the Board of Aldermen and just wouldn't pass the voters. There were a couple of times it didn't even get through the Board of Aldermen. Is there a window for that to pass in the future, do you think? I... I think that, you know, if if there would be a good voter education, and I think, you know, right now with 
the services being so stark and so so spare, um, I think that it may be a opportunity to pass it now. Um, when you look around at the whole municipal area, and I, I think this, along with this, when we become so um, egos, well, I guess city-centric, that we, we are not looking around at the other municipalities in the greater region, I think we're, we're doomed uh, for failure. Uh, and, and by saying that, you know, you must live in the city to work in the city, we're, we're eliminating a whole class of people that could, could serve our city very well. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how many city kids learn to trim trees. Um, I mean, they probably do, but there aren't that many. And, you know, there's a whole wealth of, of knowledge and experience that we're, we're cutting out of our, our workforce here by requiring that. Would you have ever supported an exemption or would you encourage people who want to eliminate the residency requirement an exemption for the SLMPD? You mean exempting them? Exempting them, saying that they must, they live, must in the live in the city, yes. Um, I, you know, I think that a lot of police officers choose to live in the city because it keeps them closer to their job. Um, those that don't, many say it's because of the schools, but I think there's enough offerings of schools that, you know, people can find a school that fits their child anymore. I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest with you. Um, and I guess anytime you make a rule, there's people that are going to skirt it. And, and we, you know, I mean, I, I remember years ago, our, our dear departed former alderman of the 12th Ward was the person that was policing those that were not living in the city. And there was a great penalty of losing your job. I think now it's kind of a blind eye type of thing where people are like, oh, so-and-so may not live in the city. And, and nothing's ever done. Again, we need to start looking at the region as a whole rather than city, county, uh, Afton, uh, wherever. Uh, that we're really falling on our own patar here by by not becoming uh, a region that that serves the whole metropolitan area. So are you saying something along the lines of like a better together style merger or just something that leaves cities intact but moves some other functions in and around or consolidates think, other things? I think when you look at the economy of it, I mean, we buy, you know, I mean, just the whole buying situation. Uh, you know, the city buys their vehicles, the, you know, Ladue buys their vehicles, all these different entities buy their own. Don't you think that if we consolidated, we could probably come up with some better savings for everybody, cost savings? Um, maybe, you know, the first step would be to form uh, like the, the special school district did and, you know, consolidated school districts in the county did where they have a broker buys for all of them. I mean, that would be one thing that would be phenomenal as far as co cost saving. You know, everybody, you know, put their needs together and let's see if we can't negotiate a deal that, you know, instead of buying just, you know, say 10 10 tra tra trash trucks, we're buying them for the whole area. Or even, you know, another way to look at, you know, the trash pickup, turn it over to a trash hauler that does this professionally. 
that's where a lot of our people are going anyway because they pay more. It's how that's how a lot of the counties do uh-huh. it. They don't pick up their own yard. A lot right. of the county municipalities. Right. Yeah. I know another measure that you are exceptionally proud of as well is the Office of Community Mediation. Mm-hmm. How is that going? Has it been supported as you would have liked it to? Or I don't think it really gets the support or the use that I had anticipated. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of angst in the community as we see by the violence we see. We have, um, I don't really believe that it's getting used to, to full capacity. And I'm sorry that, you know, we, we hired outside forces to um, provide some community um, support for eliminating violence prevention. And maybe that would have been a place where it could have uh, been initiated and, and went from there. I, I think that we we haven't probably funded it as much as it needed to be. And if we really wanted to do that, maybe we need to revisit that and, and um, bolster it a little bit to work with some of the things the community needs that we have now. I've mentioned a couple of things that I remember from your term. Is there anything that you see as your strongest legislative legacy for the city or just for your ward? I think the um, Bevo Community Improvement District has been a, a, a big um, win for the area. I think that it's going to bring a whole lot more to the Bevo area. Um, it kind of got off to a rocky start, and uh, I think now it has. We have new leadership, and I think they're they're really looking looking toward. Uh, stimulating business in the area and bringing people into the area. And along with that, we have the Better Bevo Now, who's they've become a non-for-profit, unincorporated, that has worked with uh, some of the housing issues, Vacancy Initiative and Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. They've both done a really good job. And then along Kings Highway, there's been uh, some development there that uh, will take over the uh, Farmer St. Mary Magdalene Fields and that apartment complex that um, was legislated is is getting underway and they're breaking ground. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's some good things. And we'll be right back after this quick break. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we are back on Politically Speaking with outgoing 14th Ward Alderwoman Carol Howard. And is the board ready to operate as an entity of 14. I I think it it will it will be a story to be told. Um, I I don't I just wonder how with the um, the capacity of those people being elected and the capacity of our city how we can adjust and and serve our population. Um, there's just you know we have more money than we've ever had before. Between American Rescue Plan, RAM settlement, infrastructure, et cetera. And we just keep seemed, seem to be putting off how we're addressing these things. You know, and our infrastructure is really in need of rehabilitation. Um, we have so many needs. And, you know, here we are, what, two years into ARPA funds? Mm-hmm. 
And Roughly. We've not spent much. Yeah. And we're not seeing a whole lot. And it, it seems like that uh, being a city that was so destitute that um, we're the people aren't seeing any 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 difference in you know when we were broke or, and now that we're flush with cash and cash. And my my fear is or my my concern is that if we do not start hitting this hard, that this money is going to go back to the federal government unspent. And that happens more than people realize. Yeah. Should the board have been moving sooner than in the 22-23 legislative term to handle some of the logistical side of getting to 14? Or did they try to just relitigate board reduction for too long? Well, I think that was part of the deal that, you know, we had a contingency that was, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, it's happening. And I think there should have been, uh, as soon as that legislation was passed, there should have been some steps towards how are we going to handle this? What are we going to require? And, you know, it's it's the old put everything off till tomorrow, you know. And I, I think, again, it's human nature that you may not really think it's going to happen. But, you know, now it is. And I think they probably should have addressed things much earlier. And there were some... Some people very strong advocating, let's do something about it. But I think a lot of the, and then, you know, you change people and then, you know, new people are coming and they're going, what are you talking about? You know, so, you know, the institutional memory um, gets shook up every four years or every two years. And there's, there's been a lot of institutional shakeups for various and sundry reasons. I think there's, uh-huh. I mean... God, the change in the seniority chart even before oh. the aldermanic scandal is ridiculous. Right, right. Yeah. So, but, you know, I, there's new ideas, new people, and hopefully, you know, I'm an optimist. I hope everything works out. There's times when I've, I'm very concerned. Is this is this really going to be the way, you know, good good for our city and good for the, the, the people of this city? But um, I think I think we'll find our way. What do you think the lingering impacts will be of the corruption scandal that sent three of your former colleagues to federal prison? Well, you know, when you look back, I'm I'm an old woman. I've seen a lot of corruption in the Board of Aldermen. <laughs> you know, and you know, now, Al Goldsmith just caught him this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 I mean, there were people that were caught. You know, back in the '80s, back in the '90s, back in the '70s, and um, you know. You mentioned something about it, and you people are like, "What are you talking about?" So you know, we we tend to be very forgiving and forgetful. Um, you know, we have a lot of. Uh, we were just talking about what we were, a friend of mine sent me an old um, campaign handout uh, from Tom Zish, and I said, "Oh, that's the one that got caught with the, was was all caught up with the cable TV cable scandal. TV yeah scandal." And I said, yeah, wasn't so-and-so and so-and-so involved? And I'm like, yeah, whatever happened? I said, I don't know. I think he served his time when he came back to work for the city. I don't know. I don't know whatever happened. <laughs> <laughs> How did three years of legislating virtually impact things? I don't think it hurt the legislative process as much as it hurt the relationship process. And this whole business is about relationships and developing those. You know, um, we had you know, floor whips. We had people that would, you know, you could talk to. 
And and the other piece that came in before we even went virtual was not allowing people on the floor. You know, that you could go over and say, hey, you know, I got this legislation here that you, you know, worked with me on. What about this, this, and this? Oh, okay, well, then maybe we don't need to push it forward. And by people, this would be <coughs> maybe lobbyists, SL- I'm lobbyists assuming. Sometimes, mm-hmm. or SLDC, you know, I mean, a variety of people. And that's the other thing, you know, is is dastardly as we make out lobbyists to be, they are very helpful and they are very knowledge imparting. There's a lot of things that don't come to mind when you're reading black and white that a lobbyist can give you some insight on. And we cut them out of the picture. And I think that that is really a a process that some of our... um, Younger legislators might feel as though, oh, they don't need to be here. I can figure this out all on my own. But many of the, many times they bring to the table some of the experiences that aren't on that piece of paper that you're reading. But at the same time, though, but maybe they they're should... not on the floor, but they're still up in the gallery. They can be in the anterooms. They can send text. They weren't cut entirely no. out of the process no, of, of legislating true. here. So you could, I, they I, could still get a hold again, of who they needed to. Yeah, but again, it's that one-on-one relationship building that you don't get when you're not in the room. How did you most see relationships begin to fracture? Ooh. I think it was a gradual process. I can't say there was a turning point, per se. Um, I think when we we started getting into all-day meetings. (laughs) Yes. It just went on forever. It was like— I mean, to be fair, there were also some very long in-person meetings, too, but— Right, but not—yeah. Not every single meeting. Right, and and I think it got where people were, you know, in their house shoes and their, you know, comfy clothes, and it was like, well, we have to do this all day. I can— Shut off and go to the refrigerator, and I and I think that really kind of got to where you know you you got crazy. It got crazy. Some of that yeah. stuff got crazy. It was yeah. like, what are they saying? You know, uh, and I you know I think the the being in the room with the person you know is as they say in Hamilton, I was in the room in the room where it happened. Happened, yes. Uh, I think. You know, there's a lot to be said for that, that, you know, this whole virtual and, you know, as I mentioned before, the the campaign, the last campaign that I ran, you know, the Internet was not, the two previous campaigns were not being used that much. And, I mean, this whole Internet and, you know, being able to say things and you're not really looking at that person, it it makes a difference. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I people that, I mean, called me up. Out on the inter- on the internet on Facebook, I meet meet in person. Oh, hi, how are you? Like nothing happened. And yeah. I'm like, you're kidding me. You yeah. know, like I didn't know who that person was. And I'm like, no, you're the same person that you know. I'm say you're the same person that called me. Blah blah blah. You know. And they're like, oh, she knows. There are a mayor now and a board president who are relatively ideologically aligned on many issues. Mm-hmm. They're on board of ENA. They are two votes there. Where are the checks and balances? And are you concerned about checks and balances in city government right now? And where do you see the Board of Aldermen kind of fitting into this new landscape when it may be as equally transformed? Well, 
You're right. It could be. Um, and I, I think that I sure hope the voters wake up and see their responsibility of getting out to the polls because this first round of voting on the Board of Aldermen was just, I can't believe only 12% across the city showed up. And those are the people that are making decisions for the whole city. Um, as far as the alignment, I think that they'll be able to get things done. Uh, I don't know that, you know, and I, I don't I don't predict, I don't know the will of the people. Um, I, I know the people I re represent, um, and I just hope that they, that this coalition of, you know, the Board of ENA and and the Board of Aldermen are able to keep the sights of the citizens of St. Louis in the forefront and uh, make our city better so that people will want to live here and grow here. Now that you get to watch elections from the perspective as of an informed citizen, what are some of the races of the 13 contested ones that you are paying the most attention to? I think Pam Boyd uh, and I think, I can't remember. That's who. Uh, Boyd and... Um, Middlebrook? No. Might I think it's Boyd Walker. and Walker. Walker, yeah. Yeah, Pam Boyd, I Norma that, Walker. That's up in sort of the uh, northwestish north, yeah. side of the city. That one. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Kara Spencer with the downtown and the near south side. Um, and then the, uh, what is it, the Joe Valmer and uh, Helen Petty. Yeah, that's the new fifth ward, I believe, yeah. that one I know. And and what is it about those races that intrigues you the most? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, Joe Valmer has always held up the, the Hill area. And uh, last last time around, he 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 was was on my running cycle. He had a last minute person come at it, you know. And it'll be interesting. I think you know um, he's working hard. Um, Miss Petty is working hard, but I think um, and I think the whole thing is is okay. What is, what is the comp composition of the ward going to be of the of the city? Is it going to be Majority progressive, majority moderates, what's going to happen here? And I think that's going to be contingent on the, you know, how how our city's governed. But, you know, we have uh, the board of ENA. Um, Aldermanic President Green and then Comptroller Green. Comptroller Green is sort of the swing person here. Um, and then... The Board of Aldermen, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to turn out. So it's going to be interesting. What will you miss about being at City Hall? And what will you absolutely not miss about the role of Alderwoman? I, um, I think I'll miss the camaraderie and the, the people, in, you know, that I contact that are contacting me with the trash and the... You know, I've, I've developed some good relationships. Um, I don't know that I I won't miss all day Friday meetings at all. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I won't miss a lot of you know non-essential talking that you know you've kind of 
eyes glaze over and you're off, you know, at the beach somewhere while <laughs> all this is going on mentally at the beach. Um, I won't miss that. I will miss a lot of the uh, service. Other than training Tessa and sharing her gifts with the world, what is next for you after April 17th? I don't know. At this point in life, I've been... Give me a minute here. (laughs) (laughs) Take your time. Um, I think my plan is to spend more time with my grandson. Uh, I have a great-grandson, and I'll probably be spending some more time with him. I... uh, probably will go back and explore some of my artistic abilities. In my, my teaching life, I was an art teacher. So I do a little bit of everything, and uh, I'm, I'm looking towards pulling out my paints and uh, getting back into my craft and then spending time with Miss Tessa, visiting some hospitals and entertaining people uh, and just enjoying myself. Uh, you know, at, at 73 years old, and I probably will hit the golf course. That's the other thing that I'm doing is, you know, I, I play golf. Perfect. So it, it, I'm just planning on, and I'll probably stay involved in, in some I'm way I'm sure that another. doesn't, the urge to do that doesn't fully go away. No, no, I'll be involved. I mean, I'm involved with the Community Improvement District and uh, Better Bebo. So I'll be around doing, you know, doing something in some capacity. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can find this conversation with Alderwoman Carol Howard and all of our others at stlpr.org. Alderwoman Howard, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Until next time, so long.